99 of Rapid Reviews UK. Uh, it's, uh, oh, Rapid Reviews Radio, I should say. Uh, <laughs> we have a very special episode, and I know I've said that a million times before, but this one is really special. It's the specialist of all the specials. Uh, we have a very, very, oh, God, I'm just repeating myself, special <laughs> guest. <laughs> uh, Writer, author, just everything uh, with a stunning story. Joe Donnelly is joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, we're, we love it. We are so thankful that uh, you decided to join us. And then, uh, as always, I'm joined by my ever-present co-host, uh, Pete Beckett. Hello. I actually never had to say my name. I'm Callie Wong, <laughs> and I will be your other co-host. <laughs> it always happens when we have a guest on. You always get a little floss. I get excited. I do. I get like wait. I'm like okay, forget about me. I want to talk about the guest. <laughs> um, but speaking of which, since this has actually been, uh, we haven't. It's been a while since we did a podcast. I mean, we did last week's. Yeah, but it was more of a filler. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Joe, why don't you tell us how's your week been? week's been okay um like we were saying before we started recording i I live up in glasgow and it's rained all week apparently it's been the worst may since 1983 um which is even before i was born so that's a very long time ago um so yeah it's been fine um but glasgow always rains so it's just another another (laughs) summer in glasgow but yeah what were you guys how you doing oh gosh um well i'm over here in belfast and it too is the worst may they've ever had uh it's been solid raining uh with threats of thunderstorms which is so weird because compared to exactly one year ago we had oh the choicest weather i was out all day every day for like three months solid and i haven't been out once it's freezing um, it's by, it's by, Pete, what about you yeah, it's in your lovely location uh, it's been basically the same here as I look out my window. It's just like really grey and overcast, and yeah, it's been the wettest May on on all recorded history, from what I remember anyway. But it's just weird because I want the sun to come out, and all the times I've had time off work, it's just been raining, so I can't do anything. Yeah, yeah. it's been. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, chat. If you're out there, let us know about uh, how your week's been going. I'm always interested in all that obviously we'll get into a bit more of that later you know but we'll we'll crack on with obviously talking to joe about his you know generally his experiences in his life as as a yes you know you've got a very Uh, very interesting story and it's something that i really want to obviously hear more about and based on the fact that you know we have your book there it is (laughs) feel free to promo the book itself a little bit so to say yeah. i love those colors on that book cover the cover is so so nice isn't it's it so yeah. nice it is there's yeah. so many little details just in the cover alone it's really really interesting as you zoom into it it is yeah it was by lm design um a girl called leah and I love talking about the cover because I mean, I'm, I'm proud of the book, I think. Um, yes. Anyone that writes something is proud of it, but I don't know, there's something uh, there's, you, you, something 
bit arrogant about talking too much about your book, like in terms of oh, how good is this kind of thing. But the cover I had nothing to do with, so the cover is you know it's so nice. It's funny because I think that you know you get taught growing up that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, and you shouldn't. You should read what's inside. Yeah. Naturally, I need to say that anyway. But everybody judges books by covers, and I, I think I think that they made such a good job with that. It's um, as you say, the little details when I was sent the proofs, mm. um, I was looking at it going, oh, the colours are beautiful, and um, just noticing little details and yeah i think she did a fantastic job it's lovely yeah it's a really yeah amazing absolutely um so to to give a little premise to the to or a little uh, uh well premise to the chat uh pete hold the book up again okay. <laughs> a little bit longer this is this is joe's book it's called checkpoint how video games power up minds kick ass and save lives which to me is the best title on the history of ever uh but I do kind of want to start at the beginning, uh, which is always the best place to start. But yeah, Joe, what, um, for our listeners out there, what inspired you to write this book? What made you go, this needs to be written down yeah. type so moment? Checkpoint is a book about um, video games and mental health and how the two worlds kind of overlap. Um, it probably makes sense to tell you my story in terms of mental health and video games yes. um, because that's where I ended up before writing Checkpoint. Um, so I was born in 1986 and my first experiences with video games were around the early 90s um, on the Atari ST mm-hmm. and I think the first game which I kind of i say it was the first one which I properly experienced with Lemmings in 1991. Um, Lemmings, yes. I, yeah, I love Lemmings. I can still play oh, it today. Um, yes. Absolute classic. Like, it's yeah. so weird to obviously think that that game was made by DMA Designs, who then obviously made GTA. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, but I remember when my dad was talking about it, and I was I turned five in 1991, so I'd have been four or five, mm-hmm. and yeah. talking about this game where, you know, you are in charge of this little hole, the lemmings, and they wear, like, blue robes, and they've got green hair, and you need to take them from point A to B, and, like, all this really terrible stuff can happen in between times, and if, you know, you need to make sure they go home safely, and it just sounded, I don't know, like, I'd played Super Mario and things like that before this mm-hmm. Sonic I was just on the scene, um, and they are obviously fantastical, but this just seemed—it seemed amazing, and I fell in love with it. And I played video games from there on. You know, I had a Game Boy, and then I had the Mega Drive, PlayStation, NES, all the way through um, to PlayStation Three. And in two thousand and eight, um, my uncle sadly took his own life after some financial hardship. Which is, you know, anyone who's lost someone and anyone who's lost someone unexpectedly can can definitely attest. Um, it, yeah. it was a hard time for um, for myself for my family especially the, the nature of of the way that my uncle left is it was um yeah it was hard to process and at the time um so i just to go back a little bit i left school in 2003 i became a plumber as apprentice and then um and then made the natural jump into video games you know because why not yeah. uh, and whenever i tell whenever i say this sorry i always say plumber and then video games so it's like real world super mario or something exactly that's exactly what i'm like <laughs> there's, a, there's a joke in there somewhere Find any uh, pipes to jump down. <laughs> <laughs> um, like huge mushrooms and stuff. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but no. At the time um, when when my uncle left us, because I was I was really engrossed in video games. I kind of threw myself into games, and I'd always used games as a means of escapism. Like you know, like almost everybody yeah. that plays yeah. games mm-hmm. to have fun, but also to you know, escape just whatever I was doing at the time and it didn't need to be anything really stressful maybe it was just you know a hard day at school or it was I don't know you know just I was fed up with something that I was doing and you know you can escape into these lovely digital landscapes for a set amount of time before you need to return to reality and in 2008 um, 
my reality was quite was quite difficult. So I, at the time, was playing games like Bioshock and uh, Tomb Raider at the time and really throwing myself into it, really just, you know, zoning out of the real world and playing games. And then in 2009, a year after Uncle passed, my girlfriend and I went to Australia for a couple of years and did various jobs over there for, as I say, for two years and then returned home and I planned to go to university to study journalism because I'd always enjoyed writing and the time that I spent away was great I thought I'd kind of go over you know the the, the kind of feelings of loss and um, bereavement but I realized that I'd kind of just put everything on pause so I was kind of feeling some feelings of depression and anxiety but at the time when, when I left to go to Australia I'd only just turned 23 and whilst I knew about depression, I knew what it meant to other people. I'd never experienced it myself, so I found it really difficult to identify what it was. So when I started studying journalism, I was um, I was reading a lot more video games, magazines, video game say, websites, and decided that I wanted to go down that path to write about video games. So I started freelancing, eventually um, moved more in um, kind of full-time work for the likes of Rock Paper Shotgun for PC Gamer. And in that time discovered a lot of indie games um, which were tackling themes of depression, suicide, anxiety, OCD, alcoholism, all these kind of really interpersonal, um, quite sombre themes which I'd never really associated with video games before. And through playing games like, um, I'm sure we'll talk about some of the games as the conversation goes on, but Actual Sunlight is a, is a big one for me by um, Canadian developer Will O'Neill. And it's about Evan Winter, who's a, a kind of, Every man who's really struggling with the kind of monotony of the nine to five, he's a real not an anti-hero, but he's not what you're used to in video games. So if you're used to Nathan Drake or Lara Croft or these really um, strong heroes, you know who can save the world, and those games are great. I'm not trying to um, detract from them at all. Even Winter in actual sunlight's the opposite. He's a guy who is really struggling with 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 his life and. I was able to play this game, put myself into the game and draw some real parallels with what I was feeling inside. I eventually sought professional help. Um, I've been taking a course of medication since 2014 and um, I've had some counselling in between times. And through playing the games, the uh, video games which had, um, which tackle these um, kind of more interpersonal themes, more sombre themes, I was able to identify what I was feeling myself and I wanted to write more about that so I had a column with Vice, um, a monthly column just writing about video games and mental health, which ran for several months. Um, they had a little reshuffle and the column ceased to exist. And I, once that happened, I decided I still had more to say. So eventually in 2019, I pitched the idea of Checkpoint, of kind of getting all my thoughts. It's a narrative non-fiction book, so there's a lot of me in it. There's a lot of me guiding the story as, you know, against the backdrop of my own mental health journey, um, whilst also interviewing developers like Will O'Neill, some mental health professionals, yeah. some video game players, and just kind of sharing all those experiences. And that's how Checkpoint really came to be, um, just pulling on my own story and trying to share the stories of others and with a means of kind of raising awareness about mental health. I know there's a, there's a you know, big discourse going on just now, um, which yeah. is great. You want to see that continuing to grow. Um, also to show that video games, um, you know, have a have a place at that table as well. Um, I think that you know, there's there's so much literature out there. There's so many documentaries, YouTubers, videos, whatever. There's loads of means to to learn about mental health. Um, at times, uh, depending on who you're speaking to, I feel that video games aren't as involved in that conversation as they should be. So Checkpoint was my means of of um, sharing my story, with also tying in, you know, how important video games can be in that kind of educational process. 
Yeah. Um, that was one of the things that I found really interesting is what you said about weaving your narrative journey within the the discourse of other other people that you'd speak, spoken to along the way. Um, I, I really obviously reflected quite hard on, on the chapter where you were talking about that particular game in question, uh, Actual Winter, wasn't it? Um, actual Sunlight, yeah. Actual Sunlight, yeah. sorry, yeah. It's, um, yeah. I, it was really poignant how you obviously laid down everything to do with that game in in there from what you had experienced, and I thought it was really it 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 gave me a real picture into what you were feeling at the time that you were playing it as well. And this now was that something you wanted to come off at that time? You wanted people to try and see if they could take their own reflection on that particular journey that you had through yourself. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think that. Even playing the game, um, and again, whenever I'm having these conversations, I said this at the start, I'm not a mental health professional. I just have someone with lived experience who yeah. enjoys writing, and that's made clear in the book. It's made clear whenever I'm writing about um, mental health in any capacity. The same with Will O'Neill, the developer of Actual Sunlight. He's not a mental health professional. Um, there are all the appropriate warnings and trigger warnings and things, content warnings at the start of the game. So naturally, yes. if anyone's watching this and, and decides to play it, you know, go in with that in mind that it is quite somber. It's not it's not necessarily a fun experience, which goes against, you know, what you might be used to for a video game. Um, and when I spoke to Will um, within the book, he says that about, he was just kind of telling his story. And if people could relate, which they did, because he said he's received loads of really positive feedback about players playing the game and saying, oh, I experienced that, not least from myself. Yeah. Um, but to be able to, yeah, to be able to explain the game as I was playing it, um, what you're seeing through the game itself and what I was feeling, that's what I was trying to do with those chapters in particular that you asked about. And I think that, again, this is this is um, explored in the book, but I think that with video games, and like, I mean, I'm clearly a video game advocate, but that's not to say that, you know, you should only play video games and not read books, or you should only play video games and not watch television, watch documentaries, you know, watch YouTube or share their experiences, people on Twitch or whoever. I think that everything should exist concurrently. Um, yes. I think with video games, unlike more traditional media, um, if you read the book, that's great. You know, you read the book, you consume the information, and then you can move on from there. The same if you're watching something. It's kind of two-dimensional. You know, like if you watch a documentary, you have the information given to you. But um, if you're playing a video game, it's you put yourself into it. You know, if you put your control pad down and you don't do anything, that game won't move. Um, so it's about putting you into the game. So even if you can't relate, even if you haven't experienced poor mental health and if you haven't experienced, you know, right. loss or whatever, um, you're putting yourself into it. And um, Matt Gilgenbach, another one of the developers which I speak to in the game, said um, the easiest way to explain that to someone who's not a gamer or who maybe isn't understanding the way you're saying it is that if you're playing Super Mario, for example, and you die in the game, you say that I died, you say we died, you don't say Super Mario yes. died. You know, because right. you, you take ownership of the, or take agency of the character you're playing. Um, so I think yes. that, yeah, when writing the book, it was, I was keen to show here's what you'll play, here's how I experienced it. It's kind of like just doubling down because if you if you haven't experienced it, that's great, but you can probably be in a better position to understand or appreciate what maybe I was feeling, what Will was feeling when he made the game. Yeah. If you can, then that's great as well because you go, oh yeah, I definitely felt that. Or I maybe didn't feel exactly like this, but I felt, you know, kind of, I did notice this and I did feel that. And I certainly feel, don't get me wrong, I can't relate to every, every single part of games which I play which tackle um, themes of mental health across, you know, the, right. the broad spectrum of mental health, but I can sometimes pull out little nuggets and I think that's important for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think you do it with everything. You know, you do it with anything that you're playing, any game, any book that you're reading. Um, 
of putting yourself into it, yeah, I'd say that's definitely one of the goals which I hope to achieve. Um, and I think I think we did a good job of that between you know the different voices in the book. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's um, definitely something that really, really came through. I'll tell you what came through the biggest for me um, is there is an authenticity uh, to this writing. You can tell it is it's from you it's your lived experiences and you feel that and and it is kind of like almost embodying you as a character uh you know going through this um but i do what i want to ask is so in the era of the world we live in right now you know we're we're, we're kind of starting to uh embrace mental health as a topic that needs to be discussed and things like that um but there's also different things in society that tell us that we we shouldn't express our feelings. Let, let's say, look, I, I'll lay it on the table. Toxic masculinity, for one. Oh, you're not allowed to talk about your feelings. Did you did you come up against any of that uh, as you wrote it? But also, you know, getting it published and getting it, you know, you know, an uncomfortable yeah, I, type thing. Or I wouldn't say that I experienced it in the in the process of writing the book or in the process of publishing mm-hmm. the book, um, 404 Inc, who are the independent publishers from Edinburgh who, who took the book on, um, their catalogue of, of, of books, um, the people they represent, is kind of stories which, kind of like you said, like authentic stories which they believe mm-hmm. they told. They're a fantastic publisher. Anyone should, should go to 404 Inc and, and buy their books. You don't need to buy mine. You just look at the, the literature <laughs> of the element. Um, well, definitely put that in the <laughs> No, no, I think, um, but I do, I do think that, like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm from Glasgow. I was born in, in 1986. I'm 35. Mm-hmm. I spent most of um, my childhood growing up in the 90s uh, in the west of Scotland, and there is that. I mean, up and down the UK, but um, I can only mm-hmm. really speak to the west of Scotland where I, where I grew up. There is that kind of stiff upper lip, machismo. Right. You shouldn't talk about your feelings. Um, exactly. It's, you know, it's kind of seen as a weakness, or it's seen as. Um, Know, like masculine and feminine and if you're if you're sharing this kind of stuff it's seen as fit so obviously it's all wrong and um, but i did right. grow up in i did, did grow up in in those um those environments so i think that being able to i think i think that's why personally i've struggled with identifying mental health as well because you're so used to um not bottling it up per se but just not you don't even i think bottling up implies that you know that you have something to share but you choose not to mm-hmm. whereas i think that there's an ignorance about depression and mental health if oh, you've yes. been, if you've grown yeah. up in those those um those situations mm-hmm. because you never you know if it, if it was seen as a weakness then it, you learned for it not to become something which you share if that makes sense yes so I, I think the kind of the resistance was probably more within because you've grown up so used to not sharing and it's about yes i mean any kind of mental health discourse is about breaking stigma isn't it i think that we're in a great place now compared to say 20 years say 40 years say 50 years i think that in 20 years 30 years 40 years from now we'll hopefully be in an even better position um one of the stories which i tell in the book and i i I use this story quite a lot to kind of illustrate the the point about toxic masculinity and is that when I started writing about video games and mental health, um, I had some friends, like close friends, get in touch with me privately, maybe on Twitter or Instagram, just via WhatsApp, whatever, and just say, saying, this is before the book was written, but when I was writing for Vice and other places, and saying, oh, I read your article about you know X, Y, and Z about video games and mental health. And I tried to put 
like checkpoint, you know, put everything, um, all my cards in the table and, and be a right. Kid, yes. You know, yeah. share everything in terms of my own experience. And people were texting me. Look, some of my really good mates who I maybe play football with every week on a Wednesday. Or we've been to the pub every Saturday, and, and and they hadn't they hadn't mentioned anything. But they text me saying, "Oh, I've been kind of struggling. I've been seeing a counselor, or for the last six to eight months, I've been taking Citalopram medication." And whilst in an ideal world, you know, these conversations, we could have them at football, we could have them in the pub, or maybe as a group, yeah. I'm talking very, very personal about my group of friends, but maybe not quite there. But the fact that they felt, you know, able and open to, to just say, oh, this is how I've been feeling, I get back saying, I'm really sorry you've been through us, but it's great that you're getting help. To be able to start those conversations, to keep that, that narrative going, I think that's great. And I think that that shows that the, the barriers um, of that kind of, Again, we, we're of a certain age of West of Scotland males um, that starting to see those, those barriers kind of fall down. And there's a long way to go, but it's great to see those small steps as well. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, um, something I wanted to touch on there is obviously you said that, you know, about people opening up and how it's a lot easier now that people can do that and people are reaching out to yourself because they know that you've written a book, you've been very open about your experiences. Um, how difficult was it for you to initially open up whether or not it was to a counsellor or to a family member or someone like that? Yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard. I don't think that you can sugarcoat it because that's the kind of people say, hey, no, talking helps and absolutely does. Like, it absolutely does. I'm, I'm living proof that it does. Um, but it's hard. It is really hard. And I think that it's... It's the best thing to do, but it's it takes a lot of it. Again, it takes a lot of introspection in the sense of identifying how you feel. And again, speaking to my own experience, um, I've since been told by medical professionals and doctors that you know, the nature of my uncle's death was what kind of instigated my poor mental health, my depression, anxiety, which has since been diagnosed. Um, but I, as I said, when I came back from Australia in two thousand eleven, I realised that things weren't right. I was feeling. I feel really anxious. I was snappy. You know, I didn't. I, I couldn't concentrate on certain things. If I was trying to do any writing for when I just started university, my brain was all over the place, and I couldn't quite place what it was. Mm-hmm. I found I was mm-hmm. drinking more. Um, even at twenty-five, I know that you know, the, especially in the UK, like going to the pub is a is a you know, it's part of daily or weekly life here kind of thing. But I found that I was kind yeah. of even <laughs> overdoing it a bit more. I know. Um, yeah. But uh, it's, it, it was. It, so then, obviously, if you've got if you're hungover as well, and you're finding you find yourself a bit more snappy to try to identify what's just feeling the blues, and then what what is more serious and what needs yeah. what needs addressed, and eventually in 2012, um, I got an appointment with my GP. The only one they could get was actually on my birthday, but I decided that it was really important, so I should go. And a typical um, typical late April day in Glasgow, it was pissing rain, and uh, I was playing. I was playing Uncharted two actually. Like I hadn't when I was away in wow. Australia, I had missed. Um, I'd, I'd played the first Uncharted before I left. But I hadn't done much gaming. I was away, so I was playing Uncharted two, and I was really, really into it and really enjoying it. And then I went to see my doctor. And it was the kind of like video games giving me this escapism and then going to see the doctor and it was like bringing me right back down to earth and, and what was very real. Um, but my doctor was, was great. I went along with my mum uh, and this was after a few conversations, I should say, with my girlfriend and mum and dad. That's the people which I chose. Yeah. Um, which I think I always think is valuable. You know, if you've got a, if you've got a the boyfriend, girlfriend, you've got a partner of some sort, if you can speak to them. If not, if you've got a close friend or mm-hmm. parents or family, choose someone who, again, for what my advice is worth, choose someone who you know has time to listen. Because I think that 
uh, certainly my experience of speaking to other people, you might have a best friend who you've identified as the best person to speak to, but if they've got other stuff going on as well, it's important to make sure the person that you can speak to is able to listen at the same time without putting too much pressure on them, if that makes sense, because they could be going through something similar and they might choose to be going in a different route. They might not want to be as oh, open nice. as you. Um, so I think that understanding the person, you'll make that decision yourself, that that person is the right person to speak to. Um, after some really good advice from my doctor in 2012, I didn't actually seek counselling until 2014. Um, and in those two years between, probably wasn't doing any better. I just, it did feel better to me to go and speak to someone. Sure. Um, but it was difficult. It was really difficult to, um, not just for me, I mean, like, it's it's, it's quite, um, as much as I hate to say it, it's quite easy to get selfish when you're struggling with depression and anxiety disorder because you're so focused on you, you're so focused on what you're feeling in here and everybody's against you and stuff like that. And um, I know that at times that would have been very difficult to live with and I, I do thank Jenny, my girlfriend, in Checkpoint for that because... Um, that's a side of the story which isn't always told. When mm -hmm. we mentioned actual sunlight before, um, Will and Neil's follow-up, indirect follow-up, it's not, um, the stories aren't tied, it's just thematically tied. It's sure. called um, Little Red Lies. And it looks at uh, the relationship between two sisters and it looks at the kind of from the perspective of the sister who is living with someone with depression, which I think is really interesting as well. It's very, it's definitely worth a, a playthrough in the sense of you get to see it from the other side. Um, yeah, so it took me two years after first consultation to really doing something about it. Um, it yeah, again, I know I've kind of rabbled on there for about five minutes, but it is challenging, um, I would say. But I think that it's it's easy to say because it's hard. I felt it myself to feel, you know, I'm not doing enough about this or I'm comparing myself to someone else. You maybe heard about someone else who looks like they've, you know, they've addressed mental health issues and they're really handling it well. It is important to focus on yourself. It's so easy to look at others, to look in another lane and see how other people are doing. That applies to everything, but especially with your mental health journey, um, without sounding overly profound, it is yours. So as long as, um, you know, we should be kind to others, that's always, always the, the overarching message when it comes to mental health, you know, the hashtag be kind stuff. And that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you should also be kind to yourself because uh, despite the fact that everybody's done is important to you, you're, you're, you know, mm -hmm. you mentioned being a character in, in, in the book. I mean, you're the central protagonist. You need to look after your yeah. own you know. Um, so, um, yeah. It's very true. Um, well, let me ask you this. Um, in the beginning of the book, for those who, for all of you that are going to go grab a copy here in the next <laughs> few minutes, uh, <laughs> Actually, before I, I head on, the, I am going to ask a question from chat just because it kind of melds in. Uh, where's the best place to purchase the book so that you, Joe, can get the best cut? Is it? Uh, well, regardless of the, of the, the cut which I take, um, that I do think that the best place to, to buy any book, if possible, is from independent publishers. So I'd say 404 Inc's um, yes. website, which is 404inc.com, I think. Just, just take 404 Inc into Google. Yeah. Uh, it'll be the first one which comes up um, yeah. because it's good to support independent publishers. Yeah. So. I mean, I, <laughs> Thank I, you I, so searched, much. I searched up by the book title and it came up straight away anyway, but I'll post yeah, the link yeah. in the uh, description. Yeah. Is it INC? C or INK, sorry. INK, um, yeah, 404. Okay, I'm the worst at spelling. Uh, but what I really wanted to ask you was um, in the beginning of the book, you have a page of trigger warnings, yeah. which 
I've never seen before. That is amazing. Was that your idea? Is that something 404 does? Or it was, That was 404. Um, we, we discussed that there probably should mm -hmm. be content warnings. It was um, Laura and Heather who run 404 um, who wanted to... It wasn't necessarily to reflect a video game because I know it's kind of similar to the way they do it, but it made sense to do it that way as well. And I also had um, a vision myself of having... I wanted to have like a kind of diverse... You know, kind of array of voices um, to have my voice, to have the experts, you know, people who know what they're talking about, people who can shed professional light and stuff. And I wanted to have players as well, which you see in the book as the, um, you know, a new challenger enters kind of Street Fighter play. I love that. I, I, I respected that reference more than most probably. Yeah, well, he's the Street Fighter person yeah. and he loves it. But I loved all those headers; those were great. I didn't. I'd originally just saw it as a chapter, just to have like here is a, a big list of stories of other people. Um, but again, it was it was it was Laura and Heather at four hundred four who said, "Why don't we have them kind of interspersed?" And mm. I actually think like the, the content warnings are very very important. I think it's great that um, the way that they are interspersed with the little flags, mm -hmm. checkpoints, if you will, um, yeah. throughout the book. And Ooh, yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And, but then to also the have the, I know, I know. <laughs> to also have the to also have like the conversation being pulled away from me or whatever we're talking about in each chapter and then have a different story just to change the tone and then mm -hmm. to bring it back in like again that wasn't it was a it was a conversation but that was that was the guys at 404 and i think they did a really good job of um of yeah with, with the um with the content warners but also with those voices to kind of break it up i think it it keeps the flow of the book going really well which is something which i wouldn't it have been, been able to do my own so yeah big props to them well as a person who has attention disorders <laughs> it was actually very good for someone like me because it kept me focused yeah um, and i could i could break and go do whatever five other thousand million things that i do and then could come back and center it and i didn't lose the previous you know like I, yeah. that information was still there yeah, so yeah, yeah. i think uh, you guys together have i mean first of all you've written a, an amazing book but uh, I think together with uh, your publisher, you've created <laughs> this, yeah, this something it's, it's, to be very, very proud of. It was, um, I mean, actually, the story does kind of, you know, um, it's my experience, which is the kind of springboard for everything else. But absolutely, it was a, it was a total collaborative effort over the course in terms of the, the structure of the book. And I, I'm really pleased both with 404's input and also how it came together. Because um, the, yeah, the guys it's a, it's are, a, yeah, it's a, I, I'm, I'm uh, a little bit over the top type person or oh, chat our chat is completely aware of this but for me it's like it's a piece of art it, it's it's beautiful to look at it's beautiful to experience uh it looks great on your shelf um <laughs> but uh but it, it it's also just a great look into how games have helped you and then makes me realize oh yes um i went through a terrible breakup uh, of a friendship, a very deep, deep friendship, and Red Dead came out two weeks later, yeah. and I thought I was in such a world of depression myself. I was like, I'm never going to play another video game again. Yeah. Just, I'm done. I just, the world has ended. Everything is terrible. Catastrophize. And then Red Dead came out, and I just was like, okay, this is me for the next, you know, three months or whatever, and it and it helped. It, it absolutely did. So by the same token, for you and then Pete, I want you to answer too. Uh, but what was there? Is there any game that stands out above all the rest as your comfort game? Yeah, I think um, in terms of 
Checkpoint again was about kind of shining a light on a lot of indie games, which if you, I mean, if you play a lot of video games, you probably have heard of actual sunlight and never ending nightmares and stuff, but they still are indie and they're very, they're very niche. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So my, my idea was to, to shine a light on them for people that haven't heard of them. If people have heard of them, to remind them, to hear from the people that made them kind of thing. Um, and again, if, if anyone's looking for like kind of a broader, um, understanding of mental health video games those are the kind of games the ones that are mentioned in checkpoint which are definitely worth checking out but i am a, I'm a huge believer in having comfort games in the same way that you yeah. know people would maybe read a book a few times or watch a film <laughs> or um if, it, if it's television shows for me sometimes it's curb your enthusiasm or it's always sunny in philadelphia you know shows that make you laugh my yeah. my comfort game um is a bit of a strange one but it's dark souls um which is okay. a quite uncomfortable game but uh, <laughs> because i think i think the reason is that one i love the world in dark souls i like demon souls and i like the games that came later but i love the interconnected world and i love the challenge of dark souls so even depending on what build you're playing even if i have defeated a certain boss you know numerous times it's still hard it's still challenging you still need to know the moves and it's when you overcome that the sense of um, achievement um yes. makes me feel really nice and because i really love the world i know all the nooks and crannies where all the secrets yeah. are and stuff it's just a Lodran's a horrible place right if it was real life you would you'd never want to go there but i like the familiarity which i've got there um, and also the fact that it does still challenge me to this day you know it's still i still find that no matter how good i am at the game there are certain bits where you might get overcome by a horde of really basic hollow enemies that you then you end up dying and you're like how can that happen um, but it's the it's the achievement and the overcoming which which is um for me but i'm really interested to hear what, what you guys comfort games are as well i talked about more than any on this uh podcast which would be fallout new vegas uh <laughs> very very similar to your experience it's it's comforting i know the land but there's still some surprises, mm. and I always follow the same playthrough. I never always do. Um, I will give uh, Chad a little glance, and then Pete, I want to know yours. Uh, uh, Squash and Chat says Planet Coaster is definitely nice. Nice. Uh, yeah. their comfort game. Yeah, good choice. Um, I do terrible things in all of the <laughs> Planet Zoo and Planet Coaster. Uh, but Pete, what about you? Give us the surprise of your comfort games. I already know what it is, but go ahead. <laughs> Don't spoil the surprise much. Um, for me, it's, uh, it's competitive gaming usually more than anything. So like Street Fighter and Smash Brothers are like my two ones that I'll go to because I, I actually don't know why. Like I just genuinely enjoy the games and I think putting your skills on the line against another person can sort of, uh, shows your strength in some way that you can, you know, can overcome some sort of obstacles against a difficult task, you know, and yeah. it like in the same that you said with Dark Souls, like, whilst it is computer computer generated it's all of that uh all designed in there it's still difficult because it relies on your skill this like competitive gaming is completely different because it's against someone you don't know yeah. and it's and i i just really enjoy the challenge more than anything but um i think one of my biggest comfort games is obviously mario world it's so easy to just drop in and play Spring that because yeah. i've played it so many times over the years it's just when i'm having a bad day i can just load that up on the switch play it for 20 minutes and it, it can somewhat yeah. improve my mood a fair bit or if it's not going so well in the forest of illusions it can make me want to stop <laughs> um Chad, I'm going to take this moment, moment uh, shoot us some questions uh, that you want answered. Okay. Um, we do, 
Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I did have a question for Joe. Um, how easy was it actually pitching the book to various different publishers, or did you automatically know that you were going to go to 404? Uh, with yeah, this? I wanted to. I'd read um, quite a lot of 404 stuff prior to uh, pitching at a checkpoint, and they had, a, they had a submissions window, and I had thought about pitching it the other people at 404 weren't interested but I was one of the very fortunate people that I pitched 404 and, and they took it on um, almost immediately so uh, what I loved um, from almost the first conversation with 404 even before I'd met them in person uh, I think that they shared the vision like I said before about you know their input and them putting because um, there's a lot of the 404 guys in, in the book which I think is uh, I think is great as well um, they understood what I was wanting to do what I was trying to say and came with their own ideas with it as well so there's sometimes like i think um i like to say i mean i think everybody that writes something can get precious about what they write you know this is my stuff oh, yeah. <laughs> um, i like to think i'm quite open-minded if 404 end up watching this they might say no he's an absolute nightmare to work with um but what was great about working with them was the any suggestions they had um even if i hadn't thought of it myself i was kind of like no that makes sense you know take a step back right. and walk. i could like that bit myself and you go no i'll tell you what that's actually better um so in terms of in, in terms of that it was i was very fortunate i appreciate that mm-hmm. um you know i could have a i could have 10 more book ideas and they're not picked up at all never mind by the first people that i send it to yeah that uh, that is yeah. A, a, quite an accomplishment um i will say yeah. um but uh Actually, there's been a little tiny offhand uh, comment in chat that I kind of want to address only because it's also addressed in Checkpoint. Uh, One of our uh, uh, watchers, uh, Lynn, uh, a friend of mine, actually. Now, she plays a lot of mobile games um, and casual games, which I do too, but... um, And uh, she actually says, can't compete with you gamers. Uh, uh, But, guess what, Lynn? You're a gamer too. Yeah, I thought that was. <laughs> and that is addressed in the book. Yeah. I thought that was a really um, poignant point that regardless of what's what game mm-hmm. you do play, you're a gamer, like whatever yeah. way. And I've mentioned. Even if it's football manager. Well. Yeah, the thing is, yeah. my dad's picked up more mobile games over the last couple of years. I think it's a way just to sort of unwind after a stressful day at work. Mm-hmm. And I say to yeah. him, "You're a gamer," and he's like, "No, I'm not." I'm like, well, "You're playing a game on your phone. You're a gamer." <laughs> I think that's it. I mean, you, you guys know as, um, as well as anyone that there is a bit of, um, and it's the same in, in literature, it's the same in film. It's, mm-hmm. the, the, there can be snobbery around, you know, what. Oh, kind of, yes. You know, oh, yeah. Are you a casual, casual gamer? Are you a hardcore Gate, gamer? Yeah. And all that. What, yeah, is a, you know, what is a gamer? And I mean, again, it's it's not to criticise if you if you want to have those, you know, those very discernible um, categories of gamer, then that's fine. Um, you do, you do you. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, if you can, if you can have fun playing a video oh, game. Yeah. If you play yeah. Farmville, as you say, if it's a mobile game, if you play um, Eve Online, where it's you know numbers and stats, and it's very very yeah. technical. I don't. Um, I mean, again, look, what is addressed in the book is the difference between professional and non-professional mm. gamers because those spheres are so different. You know, like I mean, right. I, I love video games, but I admit that I'm not brilliant at them. There are games which I just um, oh, yeah. games which I struggle with. Uh, I've bounced off Eve Online, for example, so many times, and I want. Wow! To yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just too much for me. Um, but the guys uh, who play, I mean, I'm quite good at FIFA, for example, but the guys who play FIFA, well, it's like, yeah, different league. Um, 
I mean, yeah, it's, I think in the interest of promoting mental health, obviously that feeds quite deeply into inclusivity. And again, the industry has so far to go in terms of... Um, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. but, um, it, but it's making great strides. But... Well, that's it, that's it. And again, yeah. uh, whenever I have these conversations, I say I'm a white straight male, you know, I'm, I'm in a, a position of absolute privilege. Um, mm -hmm. And I've, I've got no idea really. I mean, I, I can hear stories and I can say that's shocking. Um, but I've, I've no right. idea what it's like day to day. But I do feel like certain with the people I'm speaking to, we are making strides. There's a long way to go. Oh, definitely. In terms of general in inclusivity, I think starting with everybody's a gamer, you know, that's that's yeah. where I think is a good place to start and then go for it. Yeah, yeah, I really love that kind of uh, inclusivity. Um, yeah. um, but we've got... Dad, gum you, Kieran. Kieran's just hitting us with these great questions back to back. Okay, <laughs> I do his first question. Um, uh, he says he would love to know how Joe started his freelance work and any advice he'd give for a young journo coming up hmm, through the ranks. Nice yeah. one. Um, so when I, 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 again, I mentioned at the top of the conversation, I was a plumber for several years and started studying when I was 26. Um, so I went to university a lot later, eight years later than, than most people would. Um, but still, it is like starting at the, the bottom. I was probably a little bit more confident than I would have been if I was younger. So I do think that yeah. had a bearing on, on, on how my writing um, kind of came on. I was freelancing for a website called Beef Jack, which no longer exists, um, but it was for free. I was, I was doing it voluntary. Um, I managed to get to E3 through it in Los Angeles, oh, even, even though I wasn't getting paid for it. So that was pretty good. Um, Oh, know, when, amazing, when did amazing. you go to E3? Was it before uh, it became too two, mental? 2013, so it was oh, the reveal yeah. of the PS4 and Xbox One and all that. Amazing. Magic. amazing. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, that was class. I watched that one. Yeah, yeah. I did yeah. as well. I've watched it's, a fair few so of them over the years. Uh, um, I know, I found that volunteering or writing for free is not for everyone you know you, you'll see some sites advertising saying you'll pay and exposure and people get upset about that i think yeah, i don't have a problem I'm... with writing for free but as long as it's on your terms so absolutely yes. exactly yeah yeah exactly. so to feed back into the confidence thing again being a little bit older i was maybe a little bit more confident but i still didn't feel confident enough to pitch uh, for paid work in, in my own experience so getting the confidence levels to a point where you're able to. Um, and then most editors, certainly every editor that I've worked with are willing to listen. Again, you guys can attest to this, no doubt, as well. Um, just have an idea. You know, Don't rush it out the door. Make sure you know, you've right. thought about your audience, who it's for, what are the key themes and, and what you're pitching. And just your pitch email should be short and punchy. Don't, you know, I know you might be desperate to show lack and write and this really uh, engaging prose. Make it short and punchy. Get it in a paragraph. If you can't, Yes. Um, sum up your idea in a paragraph you probably need to rethink to you know refine it sure. um, but most editors are good the, the worst thing um is and anyone who's experienced this can will definitely agree with me is not hearing back uh, editors are busy but it does still frustrate me i still do a little yeah. bit of freelance away from my full-time work when you don't hear back i think yeah. i'd rather have 10 10 rejection emails in a row than have one lingering and i'm oh, unsure what's happening with it absolutely um, i had that when i was um what? trying to get my start into doing some review writing yeah. when i was uh being made redundant from a job and I submitted to so many places and you just hear nothing mm -hmm. or you just yeah, get like yeah. cookie cutter responses or anything that it's always it's you just need that one outlet to just give you a chance and it just can kick yeah. out everything isn't it and that's exactly it yeah and I had um I had written an article back in 2014 or still at uni and it was about at the time it was when um like Dear Esther and Gone Home and the walking simulators were kind oh, of yeah. kicking off uh 
yeah. I wanted to write about why people were doing it and spoke to like psychologists and stuff like that and I couldn't get it anywhere. Wow. And then IGN of all places uh, took it on and then it went wow. from there and then as soon as as soon as having IGN on the Oh on that's the TV, all you need. But it's just yeah. I mean a lot of it was perseverance, like for whatever reason that a lot mm -hmm. of outlets didn't think it was a great idea and then one did and then after that and again that feeds back into the confidence because you think, you know, I am good enough to do this and it's sure. again, it, it sounds really cheesy but it's about believing in yourself. Having the confidence oh, to pick yes. and believing in yourself. So Yeah and Absolutely I to and all these, say um, that sure. and with the places that were giving you rejections or not getting back to you did that take a toll on yourself as well because you had built it up that you wanted to get into writing in the games industry and it wasn't quite what you expected it yeah i think i mean no matter how you used you get to rejection nobody likes it um mm. so i work um i now work in uh football journalism in Glasgow. I still do a lot of freelance and video games and actually, you know, sure. obviously able to find time to write checkpoint. Um, so I occasionally still do the odd bit of freelance and video games and still get rejections. Uh, even now, I've been doing it for 10 years or so. And um, it's never nice because, you know, if you write anything, if you send a pitch email at the point where you've hit send, you think it's good. Um, and I don't know, it's... Um, it's hard not to take it personally. People say don't take it personally. Yeah. You know, it can be a number of things. It can be budget. It can be it's maybe just not the right fit. Most good editors will just get back and say, no, it's not really for us. Um, and it, when it becomes a lot more, you know, a lot more, um, I don't know, when they address you, that's again I'm going back to when you don't get the when you when you all hear radio silence. When they do address you, it's okay, fair enough. It wasn't for you, and then sure. you you can move on. Exactly. I still maintain, I have it somewhere around here. The best rejection I ever got to this day was, uh, where are they located? They're here in the UK. I can't remember where, but uh, it was two guys that are in a, a magazine. Um, and they're like, uh, oh, we're sorry. This this isn't a fit for us. But we just both wanted to say that your writing is amazing. And you're oh, well, talented. Yeah. <laughs> uh, please do not take this personally. You will go far. But we just can't. It's just not our, uh, you yeah. know, our type of thing. And I was like, it's the best rejection ever. <laughs> I loved it. Give me more like this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did. I even replied. And I was like, guys, thank you so much for this. Mm. This really helped my confidence and blah blah blah. You know, all the good stuff. Um, but you do get rejected. You do um, because there's a lot of ideas. Yeah. Not a lot of time or space in the world to put all of those ideas. Yeah, yeah definitely. And also with the rise in the internet as well, there are a lot of people out there who are all want to sort of get on board and try and do it as well so it's, it must be mm -hmm. difficult for outlets to try and pick from various different pitches that they're getting oh yeah yeah, yeah. i mean you'll have heard a lot yeah. of people say this before me but like some people see it as playing video games and getting paid and it's you know it's not that you need to oh, love it. Yeah. Oh, not so much more than that yeah. I, yeah. I can tell them this week alone uh, reading <laughs> yeah. 500 court documents and then yeah. after reading them <laughs> writing a script and then getting an order uh or not i didn't personally get the order but the the order went out oh you can't release this 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 so you have to go through your thing and ask everything that can't yeah. be read out loud it, there's work in there oh, uh but we can also tell the experience of the doom eternal review that we both contributed on where uh, as they sent I us... basically sent i had to spend like two days straight pretty much with barely well, any yeah. sleep because we they sent did. us the review code. They sent us the review code. What was it? Five days before. Twelve hours before. Uh, it was five yeah, days like before right before. Ago, but it was like a sixteen-hour game. Five. So yeah. 
yeah, and I'm like playing it. <laughs> and I love Doom anyway, and I was like, oh crap, I have to skip this story beat. I can't get this collectible. I need to get it. Oh. But uh, so that actually kind of feeds into this next question again from Kieran. Um, he asks, have you ever felt guilty playing video games rather than doing something else? Personally, it's something I struggle with quite often as I constantly feel like I should be doing something productive. Totally get. Uh, even when I'm on a break or have done all my work, I uh, would love to hear Joe's perspective. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I, I get that with not just video games. I mean, it could just be reading a few more chapters before. I mean, even so, at the moment, I've got two young children, one's two and a half and one's only six yeah. months. Um, so oh, once yeah. we finally once we finally get the house quiet, which is obviously <laughs> never. Um, but no, maybe maybe I should be good. Like, if I've got, if young Joe's quiet at 10 o'clock at night and I'm tired, I should be sleeping, but I want to read a book and I read a few more chapters. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, it's midnight and you're tired the next day and so on, cycle. Um, no, it, it, that's perfectly normal. I think um, I think I kind of touch upon this in the, the chapter about addiction and checkpoint mm -hmm. video game addiction. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it's real. I don't believe oh, that yes. the, there's a lot of scaremongering, obviously, with the tabloid press and and, and a various other outlets. Which there's not enough research to have such yeah. you know broadly negative opinions about it. But I do believe it exists. But like anything, in terms of going back to to, to Kieran's question, in terms of feeling bad about things. I think it's about and it's hard to get perspective but it's about perspective i mean what have you put off you know and it's i believe that video games should be enjoyed like any other form of entertainment as long as something else isn't sacrificed so you know you're not mm -hmm. playing football manager or whatever you know warcraft from one in the morning till six in the morning you've got work at eight you shouldn't do that because then your work life is going to sacrifice if you're yeah. supposed to be going to the yeah. pictures with your friends or your partner or whatever and you decide to stay in and play as an all fortnight all night then you know you, you you've let something else fall by the wayside I mean, video games are fun that's the that's the the thing which um even writing something about checkpoint where it's looking at a lot of games which aren't necessarily fun in terms of what they're trying to convey Right. If you're using video games as escapism, it should still be fun. Yeah. So, I mean, as long as you're having fun, as long as, you know, important things as you've deemed them, and only you can do that, you know, you, you're mm -hmm. in charge of your own schedule, um, then, again, it's easy for me to say don't be hard on yourself. But, you know, it, it's even with even if it's person to person, it's going to be dependent on your schedule. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's hard. I do it myself. I still do it myself. But it's just making sure that nothing's suffering. You're enjoying everything in moderation, I suppose, is the most rounded answer I could give to that. Uh, I think that's a Absolutely. perfect dead-on answer. <laughs> Yeah, you have to consider it sort of like like anything that has an addictive nature. Really, it is yeah. a substance in some way that that does alter the chemistry of your brain. You know, it's going to make yeah. you feel enjoyment or you know pain, misery, suffering, depending on the, the nature of what you're what you're doing. I think it's interesting just now as well because like when when the the pandemic started, I was doing similar things like this, and I was really as a video mm -hmm. game advocate singing the praises of you know a time where we couldn't explore digital landscapes. You know you've got all these lovely right. worlds, Minecraft, The Witcher, yeah. Grand Theft Auto Online, you know whatever you choose yeah. to, you get these places which you could visit um, freely, and it's not the same, but you're able to. Animal Crossing was a good one for people just to go and oh, chill yeah. out and enjoy themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but as the lockdowns have rolled on, um, I think it would be remiss of me not to say that some people will have adjusted their schedule. So if you've been on furlough for a year or um, worse, if you've been laid off, obviously that's, you know, these mitigating circumstances, which nobody had really seen coming a couple of years ago. Yeah. If you're... If your um, routines have changed now that we're starting to come out of lockdown, hopefully we continue to do so over the over the course of the year and, and then on, that 
just keep an eye on how your schedules change, how much you're playing video games, as much as I'm an advocate for them. If you've been playing more of them in the last year, whilst at the start, I think that was good that people were using video games as a means of feeling better about you know, the harsh realities around us. As we start to go back to normal, as we start to maybe go back to work um, away from the house and, and venture out a bit more, it's like you say about the addiction, it's, it's good to be on top of it, I suppose. Just make sure that, again, you're not letting anything else suffer as well. Yeah, I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, Pete, we're uh, probably going to wrap up here. We've taken a lot of your time, Joe, and we are oh, thank you so much. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, you've been very generous to us. Um, Pete, do you have any last questions before uh, we uh, want to do? I want to do a big overview of where everyone can get the book. Just briefly, obviously, because um, Rapid Reviews UK, especially uh, Overlord Mike himself, is uh, has been an advocate and an ambassador for Safe and oh, World, yes. and we know that you've done some some stuff with them. Um, we we've done some stuff ourselves with them as well, and they're, we think they're an amazing organisation. So, how was it that it came to be that you started um, uh, working with them? Yeah, I've just um, so when I when I made the blueprint for Checkpoint, I was quite clear on the narrative was going to guide the book, and I wanted to talk about this and go through each kind of section. And, and one section I was very keen on was charities, um, and it was through that it was through that process. Safe in our world had only I think it launched um, a few months before I started to properly draft the book. Yeah, but I, I, you know, I still get even though I'm not working full time in games anymore, I still get the PR emails and I'd seen the, oh, the yeah. masthead and stuff, and I was like, yeah, that's really really cool, and I was really keen to to speak with them, and it kind of just went from there. We we had a conversation uh, in the book, and um, I've just did a kind of Q and A with me about about checkpoint video games, mental health, and I've did the odd thing um, with them since, but there are. But there are so many great video games and mental mm -hmm. health charities take this. Yeah. I mentioned the book as well, Game in the Mind. Game in the Mind's a great, um, safe in a world as well, actually, but Game in the Mind is great on Twitter. Like They share a lot of, um, yeah. kind of video games, mental health, and sometimes it's very specifically about games mental health, sometimes it's more adjacent and it's kind of broader spectrum stuff. But anyone who's looking to find out more who uses Twitter should, should definitely follow follow the charities. But um, no, I think safe in a world particularly, they do... Um, do some great stuff and I, th I think that I think this is the essence of people that work at charities but it's just so honest like everybody's got a story everybody is so open and free about their story um, and again like we said at the top of this program it's not easy uh, it's not always easy to talk about mental health and, and video games and how it how it um, impacts your life but you know these guys are gamers these guys have had experience with mental health and uh, a number of different avenues and yeah I mean it's it's great to see them doing some great work they're raising a lot of money for charity and, and long may that continue Yes, are, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, again, agree. Absolutely. <laughs> shout out to all the charities out there, gaming or non-gaming related, that do great work all around the world. They all they all help in some way. But yeah, obviously, yeah. We, our focus is obviously on mental health at the moment. So yeah. amazing stuff that we can absolutely. now see charities that are really focusing very heavily on it mm -hmm. at the moment because it is something and it has been a stigma for many, many years. that it's, It is okay to not be okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, again, like I'm not a I'm not a mental health professional or my charity. But if anyone watching this wants to, you know, shoot me a message on Twitter, my my DMs are open. Um, yeah. Again, I can only give uh, the experience with uh, advice um, through anything that to yeah. which I know I'm not a doctor, but you know, please do if yeah. anyone feels the the desire to do so. Okay. Just yeah. Quick. Sometimes they just need a listening ear. Yeah, um, yeah, one last question: um, Do you find that people who have been through mental health struggles themselves—we've oh, lost Kylie—but um, <laughs> do you find people who are, you know, 
been through mental health struggles themselves are actually the people that you can speak to more openly about it and they have do you find that they have the more whilst their own experiences they they can be a lot more insightful than people who haven't been through it probably probably i think that i think i mean i think it's probably natural whether it's about mental health or anything you know if you were um i don't know it's a simple analogy if you went to a gig uh, and you can talk about how good this band were live if you've not seen them live then you're obviously a little bit disadvantaged there mm -hmm. i think the the essence of checkpoint um it was again uh, in a like we said earlier about will o'neill's games for example if someone has the experience, then naturally they're going to engage with it a little bit more. They're going to be a little bit more insightful as well. Um, but if someone, I mean, me, poor mental health or, you know, people struggling is so so prevalent, it's so prolific that I guarantee that even if someone doesn't, you know, has, has had really sound mental health for their entire lives and, you know, along with that continue, that's that's great. I guarantee that they'll know someone um, or they'll, they'll mix with someone who is maybe struggling, who hasn't opened up. I think that um, it's so common now uh, that people are struggling um, some silently, some, you know, a bit more vocal that even if even if they can't, I dare say that, um, uh, yeah, people are always learning. I think that, I think that, um, yeah, if any, if anyone can take something on board, even if it's not relevant to themselves, that that information can be used to help others as well. Sure. The book is called Checkpoint uh, for our listeners and our viewers uh, by Joe Donnelly, um, which you can find on 404 Inc., which is 404inc.com. Uh, um, and do you uh, have any, like, plans for like a follow-up or have you got more in store what's in the future uh, i'm not sure um i kind of like the checkpoint was um again like i mentioned before having written a bit about video games and mental health and then those avenues kind of shutting unexpectedly checkpoint was a I don't know, passion project for want of a, a mm -hmm. better term um and to kind of tell my story and add in my voice to the conversation one thing which um which i tended to find um kind of away from the kind of people who are really interested in video games is mm -hmm. that people who don't play video games I've spoken to about it didn't realise that any of these games existed and it feels like I'm not sure what it is yet, but it feels like there's more to add to the conversation for non gamers. Right. But it's for me, I don't think I could write something which didn't appeal to gamers as well because yeah. mm -hmm. you know that's that's the that's the audience which I, I really enjoy writing for. So Absolutely. I suppose it's um, it's a bit of a cliched watch this space. Uh, I think there is more to say, um, but I'm just not quite sure exactly what. So maybe at some point down the line, who knows? But yeah, when you when you when you do find the words to say, you will. <laughs> uh, you have to come back and and chat with us again. Definitely, um, any any time. Um, and thanks to, to the, the listeners and watchers for um for oh, the good yeah. questions as well. It was it was um it's great to, to have people cheer. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they're now realizing that we're back, so everybody's excited. Yeah. <laughs> you've always got a place to come back and and talk. Yeah, about. obviously you've got anything to promote and all of that. So, uh, hopefully it. the next book, you know, will come at some <laughs> point in the future. So it will give me a chance. Oh, to, will. to read another book for the first time in yeah. ten years. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Joe, do you want to drop any um, ways for people to see your work, get in contact with you, all this, all that kind of? 
Don't yeah, just if, if I don't know. The, uh, if anyone wants to have a chat on Twitter at any point at Deco two thousand D E A C O two thousand, um, I think I'm tagged in the tweet that you put earlier. Actually, yeah, I will um, pop those so, up when we put out the episode, and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Anyway. Yeah, tw- Twitter's the kind of the place which I talk about yeah. anything, um, which is I don't know anything which I think is worth talking about. Whether it's worth listening to is up to the individual to make that decision. <laughs> so, um, but no, I, I really appreciate being invited on, and also for everyone who's tuned in as well. So, no, thank you. It's been great. Very enlightening. Um, again, I want to encourage our audience to go get a copy of it. Uh, it's. I'm going to make an assumption here, and tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, there's. Is there a digital version for? People there is an who... ebook. Um, it's not an audible or anything. We don't know. We don't have an mm-hmm. audiobook, but there is um, an ebook, and I'm sure you can get the links to that on 404. It's also yeah. in places okay. like Amazon and Waterstones and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah independent publishers' websites as well. Yes, 100. <laughs> percent Love there... indie everything. Uh, is there any plans for an audio version in the future? Uh, not at present, and uh, yeah. if there is, uh, certainly wouldn't be me that was, <laughs> was reading it. <laughs> who knows? Understand it? So, uh, oh, that would be great. Oh, well, who, who's your ideal narrator to do it then? If you, oh. if you have the choice. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I struggle to see past Morgan Freeman. You know, oh, that, of course. Oh my gosh, you'd be the you'd be the one person who could say Morgan Freeman narrated my life. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh which is the dream Uh, all right well uh we thank our guest joe donnelly so much get his book checkpoint it is out uh everywhere i'm at home (laughs) uh kieran says nolan north oh yeah narrating yeah (laughs) that would be yeah very good choice (laughs) um pete uh while we're at it where can they find you out there in never never land uh you can find me on twitter at pete beckett one b-e-c-k-e-t-t and then the number one i muse about video games and uh, i'm very sarcastic on twitter half the time so (laughs) grain of salt yeah (laughs) all right kylie where do they find you uh you can find me with my various states of emotional distress <laughs> it's just at Kylie to greet K-L-E-Y-T-H-G-R-E-E-T uh, I'm still exploring the uh, autism diagnosis which is not enthralling for anyone who's not autistic so but you're welcome to come check it out uh, and then um, you can always check out the reviews www.rapperreviewsuk.com yeah. for all your reviews triple a to indie actually i should start saying indie to triple a yeah, it should be the other network. way around we should be putting big boys on top all the time yeah yeah i agree with that um so we're gonna go ahead and end the podcast part but we'll be on for another minute or two to just kind of say Rap. hi to chat um so uh i don't have to do all the wrap-up stuff anymore no, do i no, you don't. do You've, that I've cut a okay now, so. so i get to do Thank you for stopping by. And as always, thank you uh, for choosing to listen to us. You can choose anyone in the world to listen or watch. And we appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts that you give us the time and attention. And we love that. Um, So we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please check us out on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow us on social media at Rapid Reviews UK or the podcast specific Twitter at our Radio Pod. Please follow us on Twitch at Rapid Reviews. 
The music is made by Johnny Atma. Please check out Gametal on YouTube. And for everything else, please visit www.rapidreviewsuk for all the latest reviews.